Today's guest and I go back a long time. Today's conversation is with Niraj Naik. He's the founder of Soma Breath, a breathwork system based on traditional yogic practices like pranayama that he combined with his world-class rhythmic soundtracks. And in our conversation today, we deep dive into what's possible using the breath. We deep dive into the science behind altered states of consciousness and the tremendous effects of breath on our nervous system and overall health. Enjoy this conversation today with Niraj Naik. So um, I'd love to dive in a little bit into like, uh, this is kind of what I have in mind, like into not so much into your story. Of course, we can throw that in, but like into um, Soma, kind of what you what your routines is with Soma, how you teach it, what your people, what, what you recommend with, with that. And uh, also, like, if you like, what's what's exciting? Something like it's just just having a uh, having a conversation. Like the podcast in general is about is more on the spiritual entrepreneur science philosophy. These kind of these angles, and whatever brings the conversation up, we're gonna chat about. That's kind of the the intention. Yeah, sounds cool. Sounds yeah, good. Man. Awesome. So. Um, Tell me, why breathing? Why breathing for you? <laughs> why, why that focus, actually? Well, if you think about it, we live without food for a few weeks. We live without water for a few days, right? But uh, breathing, we can only live without for a few minutes, okay? But for some reason, it's the least regarded thing out of those three things, right? We, we think we usually focus on diet when we want to make a change drinking lots of water everyone's going on about drinking lots of water that's also kind of a myth but breathing has only in the last few years become something relevant right to health before that it wasn't really talked about much in the mainstream there was definitely some amazing scientists like buteco back in the day who did a lot of science did a lot of um studies and show the link between bad breathing habits and diseases and you know basically low body tissue oxygenation being the root cause of most diseases and how to solve that problem and what causes that problem so he did a lot of science on that but he ultimately got it all from yoga and pranayama because he was trying to fix his high blood pressure and he uh turned to yoga He discovered like the original kind of uh, yoga sutras and started to dig deep into it. And through changing his breathing, according to the yogic tradition, he fixes high blood pressure, but then was also able to then go on and develop the Buteco method. And, and he is a medical doctor, so he helped a lot of patients with uh, breathing issues and saw a link between bad breathing habits like hyperventilation, mouth breathing, over breathing, breathing harder than you need to, deep breathing, heavy breathing, right? He saw a strong link between that and chronic diseases and showed that actually the, the more you breathe, the heavier you breathe, the more you need to breathe means the less efficient you are at getting oxygen to where it really needs to go in the body, which is the body tissue cells, right? So it's getting it off the red blood cells and into the body tissue cells. The, the red blood cells, all that the purpose of them is, is transportation, right? So he showed this link and it all revolved around carbon dioxide being the kind of crooks of the problem and the solution. So CO2 is something we've also been told it's a, it's a waste gas and it's toxic and all this. But actually CO2, if you look at it, is the prana in pranayama, right? Without the CO2 being the right concentration in your bloodstream, you won't get oxygen coming off the blood cells. So our body has a very intelligent system that tells you your blood where to drop off oxygen. Okay, so you breathe in oxygen, oxygen binds your red blood cells, then it needs to get from the blood cells to the body tissue cells. So the CO2 levels is what determines where your body drip drops off, your blood drops off the oxygen, 
right? So can it be dropped off before? The, I mean, where, the ideal drop off is at the mitochondria, right? At the cell, like the, well, it's going to be dropped off where, where where the cells are most in demand of oxygen. Otherwise, we'd be very inefficient at using oxygen and breathing because if you're constantly breathing in and, and the oxygen's going to every cell in your body, it's not an efficient process, right? And also, oxygen has issues with it. It causes oxidative stress, right? So it's the CO2 levels, right? Because imagine every cell is breathing all the time. When CO2 levels are higher, in, like say you're doing dumbbell workouts, which I know you like to do, right? Exercise. So you're doing all these exercises. Your body knows, your blood knows where to drop off. I'm going to show you something with this in a minute. But it's still so cool. um, your body knows where to drop off the oxygen is going to send it more to the muscles that are being used the most. So they're the ones breathing out the most CO2. So the muscles that sent or the cells that are breathing out the most CO2 is where the oxygen will go. It's called the Bohr effect. It's the, it's the process that gases exchange. So basically to, to sum it up, like where the cell has, every cell is always constantly breathing, so to speak. And when they're breathing, they're, they're emitting CO2 and where the CO2 concentration is the highest, this is where, The oxygen can be transformed or can be has to reach a certain threshold. Yeah. Threshold. So then your blood will only drop off oxygen to those areas. All right. Now the problem is if you breathe heavily, if you breathe much harder than you need to, over breathe, like breathing through your mouth is one of the prime sus uh, culprits for this, and also talking a lot. When you talk a lot, you let go of a lot of CO2. That CO2 is a signal right in the body so if you let go of that co2 the oxygen doesn't know or the blood doesn't know where to drop off the C the oxygen so it stays stuck to your red blood cells this causes actually vasoconstriction high blood pressure and also then eventually injury to the cell to the walls of your arteries which then leads to atherosclerosis heart disease so heart disease is caused a lot by bad breathing habits over breathing heavy breathing now what causes over, over time though over time chronic hyperventilation chronic mild hyperventilation is what leads to a lot of the diseases that we have now what causes chronic mild hyperventilation that's what is why breathing is so important right understanding breathing chronic mild hyperventilation is caused by unconscious breathing right where you're breathing unconsciously where your reptilian brain which controls breathing, right? It controls all of the autonomic nervous functions in the body, right? So your heart rate, your immune system, your body temperature, digestion is all controlled by the reptilian brain, which deals with everything that runs on autopilot so that you can have a conscious experience of the world. Now, the problem with the reptilian brain is that it's always looking out for what's safe and unsafe, okay? Now, if you are born where your, your thermostat, like your uh, sensitivity to what's safe and unsafe is kind of uh, like turned to the max where you're, you see the world with fear all the time. This can happen with actually early uh, traumas that happen in early childhood, right? Or actually when the baby's first born, birth, even birth traumas. Even before born, yeah. This can make a child, a baby, like right from the beginning, see the world as unsafe, right? And we all have different degrees of what we deem to be safe and unsafe. So we all have an underlying anxiety because the reptilian brain, all that deals with is your survival at all costs. Now, if it's tuned to this uh, vision, worldview, belief system that the world is unsafe, can't trust anyone, can't trust anything, then this level of reptilian stress response can be much higher, right, than, than average people. But even just normal everyday average people, because we live in such a high, like, stress world, right? So this, instead of like lions and tigers and bears being our source of stress, which it used to be in the olden days, those lions, tigers and bears which would actually be a threat, but we had a mechanism of running away or fighting, defending ourselves. Nowadays, they're constantly with us. They are now your deadlines, your bills, your tax, uh, you know, your boss, um, 
your job you don't want to do, your relationship that's not working, this, or if you're single and you're desperately looking for someone, that puts you on high alert all the time, right? So you're always looking out for what's safe, unsafe. And that means then you produce more adrenaline, more cortisol, right? And adrenaline cortisol ramps up your, your need to breathe. It makes you breathe harder than you need to because it basically is trying to prepare you for going into battle, right? But if you have this source of stress, but you, you're, you're actually not finding a way to turn that stress off, right? Then your breathing tends to be a form of chronic mild hyperventilation throughout the day. And then also what happens is as a child, if we, you form bad breathing habits, one of the, the, the worst breathing habits is mouth breathing, chronic mouth breathing. And you'll see ch children, you can see them. I used to do that a lot, a large part of my childhood because my nose was always clogged and, and I just was breathing from my mouth. And one of the reasons what causes the nose to be blocked, okay, is a combination of lifestyle factors, which all affects chronic mild hyperventilation. So you've got the fear response, that's one. The other one is if you eat a lot of processed foods and sugar, this also makes you send all your demand for digestion. All your blood flow goes to your digestive glands and it's less energy being used uh, for other processes. So this, again, ramps up your demand for breathing. Your breathing gets heavier, especially if you overeat. And a lot of children these days, they gorge on food and snacks and sugar, overeat, get overloaded with food. This affects your diaphragm as well. And actually you'll see with uh, pregnant ladies, their breathing gets very deep and heavy actually, because when you have a, a lot of substance, okay, in the, in the belly, this affects the diaphragm and the diaphragm's ability to breathe properly. So this is happening with children who are becoming obese at a young age. And when you're eating a lot, eating a lot, consuming a lot, overeating, I mean, try it as a practice now. If you overeat, if you eat loads of food, gorge it down, watch what happens to your breathing. You'll see it affects. And then processed foods and all of these things really affects your breathing. So you end up chronically mar um, hyperventilating throughout the day. Okay, so diet and then lack of sleep or the wrong type of sleep, oversleep. Sleeping also is quite detrimental to your breathing if you breathe through your mouth during sleep. Okay. So that's another cause of chronic mild hyperventilation. So there's a lot of things, prescription meds, you know, bad exercise, exercising too hard, too intensely, where you end up mouth breathing during exercise, all of these things, or not doing enough of the right exercise, becoming unfit leads to unhealthy breathing habits, poor oxygen efficiency. So if you look at the entire system of pranayama and yoga, it's a system actually of correcting your breathing and becoming super efficient using oxygen. So actually what happens, your breathing rate, your natural breathing rate slows right down and your demand for oxygen needing to breathe slows right down. Because as we said, oxygen, this was studied by Helmut Sees, the father of redox chemistry, says that although it's very difficult to live without oxygen, it's also very difficult to live with oxygen. Because if you, you've got to imagine the mitochondria is like a combustion engine and we have like a thousand mitochondria, right? On average inside every cell and they're all burning oxygen and that produces a fire, just like normal combustion engine, right? Over time, if you put the wrong fuel into it or if you drive it too hard or it's an inefficient engine, it's going to wear and tear. It's going to break down, right? Same thing. So when we optimize our breathing and we do the right type of exercise and we change our lifestyle, we make our mitochondria super efficient. In fact, we can increase the number of mitochondria we have from 1,000 to 4,000 with certain breathing techniques. And what that does is it means our demand, our need to breathe in, inhale oxygen, reduces massively. Okay? So our system of soma breath, what I've done is I've taken the wisdom of Buteko method the practices of yoga, pranayama, inspire, inspiration from Wim Hof as well. He's a friend of mine, you know, to develop a system which I've made very fun and accessible through music technology that works with me very well because I managed to cure myself of an autoimmune disease 
when I was chronically hyperventilating, breathing badly, stressed out, had a nervous breakdown, boom, got sick, and then I had to fix myself. That's where I discovered breathing and the power of it for the first time. That's what took me on this journey. But I've developed this system, Soma Breath, that brings, it's like a pharmacy of different breathing techniques because all of these techniques in pranayama, what they, they have is really like a pharmacy, but they all end up, the net result of doing them all in the right way is to make your breathing very efficient. Okay, so you need to breathe less, your breathing rate slows down, you become more calm, and your CO2 tolerance goes up. All right, so as going back to CO2, it's the CO2 tolerance that, that determines how heavy and hard we breathe because CO2 is what signals your brain you need to inhale. It's the CO2, not oxygen levels or the lack of oxygen, CO2 levels. So if you're, if you're, you have bad breathing habits and you're from a childhood been very stressed or having the wrong lifestyle, your CO2 tolerance reduces and it means you need to inhale much faster than you need, to, you actually need to. So you end up breathing at a fast rate. Okay. So when you actually do, do these breathing techniques, you actually raise your CO2 tolerance and then your breathing rate slows down. And if you have more CO2 capacity in your body, more capacity to hold and retain CO2, the more energy you produce e efficiently because then your oxygen can leave and go into the cells naturally. And you get better body tissue oxygenation, which is the, the, the secret of longevity. So where do you start usually when, when you're like with your system, like when someone comes in, let's say there's, they're, they have chronic diseases. They may be, they eat the wrong food. They, uh, they're over breathing chronically. They, uh, they are basically not that healthy and they have all, they do all the things which are not right. So the, like it's kind of a vicious circle. No, I think everything contributes to each other. So as you did explain it and breathing, you come in with breathing and that interrupts that circle or you come in with a, with, with, with give them nutrition advice as well. Or what's the, what's the first step you, you go in? Right. So we've created courses that are like frameworks for coaching. So we train instructors actually on how to deliver these coaching frameworks. And the first step is our breath fit course. And the breath fit course is based on traditional pranayama techniques, right? But remember, I'm a music producer, so I make everything musical and fun. So that's the framework. And it's all about learning the basics of retraining your breath, slowing the breath down and little daily mindful breathing exercises you can do to always ensure you're, you're breathing correctly through the nose, into the diaphragm, right? And really retraining the breath to become more efficient. So that's the foundation, okay? And in there, we use the Ayurvedic system of customizing lifestyle for the individual. Because in Ayurveda, we're all individual unique. There's no one size fits all. So a... Um, We have these three energy types, Vata, Pitta, Kapha. You know, there's a different approach for each one. We train our instructors on how to also deliver customized. So when it comes to diet, exercise, even sleep, and even career choice and uh, environment, climate, it, we take all this into account because the Ayurvedic system is extremely smart for this. So, so that's the first step. Then the next step after that is really going deep, like which is our 21 day awakening course, which is all about really creating a vision for what it is you want in your life, going after it, clearing emotional clutter, negative beliefs that hold you back. And we have special breathing techniques for that as well. And then we have even deeper courses, but our, so our real first step is the breath fit training. Which is cus more or less customized than with the whole Ayurvedic approach. Then as you said, got it, got it. And, um, how, like, How do you, uh, I recently talked to a friend and I told him about breathing and I told him, Hey, look, this is the way kind of how you should breathe. And, um, as he's getting more and more into meditation, he's very, very open and, and curious about this, but he had the biggest challenges with the breathing. Actually, he had the biggest challenge to retrain his breathing. So how do you, how long does it usually take? If you, if you're, let's say if you're 30 or 40 years old, Your whole life, you, you were breathing, or majority of your life, maybe when you were born, you were breathing correctly, but then you kind of um, fucked it up in a way. 
How long do you, do you, does it usually take for someone to retrain the breathing to, to get on the right path? Days. You can transform someone's health within four or five days. Like somebody with asthma, right? And if they have asthma, just doing the retraining techniques, they can actually relieve asthma and say goodbye to asthma within a few days. Wow. Yeah, it's very quick. Very quick. Because the fastest effect on our physiology, right, aside from drugs, okay, is your breath. It's so so curious, like, because you, you mentioned at the beginning, like, we focus so much on, 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 uh, on exercise, on diet, but now, just now we got aware in the Western world, and I put more attention on, on breathing. Why do you think is this so? Like, why first exercise, then nutrition, and now it's breath? Why? Why? It's something actually that's so obvious because we're breathing all the time, as you put it. Why do you think this is the latest? <laughs> well, what's interesting is that if you look at the training of medical doctors, pharmacists, okay, which is our so-called health experts, they have very, very little training on what I just explained on breathing. Right? Even though all the science and evidence is out there and we know all of this, the Bohr effects is a very recognized thing. They have as much training on breathing as they do on diet. So the two most important lifestyle factors for your health, they have the most, the least, sorry, least training on, right? Why is that? Now, why is that? Is there a reason why they don't want the, the so-called pillars of society or the pill poppers of society? They don't want them to, uh, pill pushers of society. They don't want them to know The, the most important things, which would mean if you change those two things, you don't need the medications. Why is it that I'm, I'm just putting out there? I'm just putting out there. There's a reason why they lift. They know it all. This is like we know breathing is very important, but it's it's taking out of the of the medical system for some reason. But now it's switching big time. They can't ignore it now. And it's the biggest one of the biggest bang for the buck, I'd say breathing. <laughs> yeah. And here's the thing, like most people who become doctors, medical professionals, pharmacists, they go into it with the best intentions. They want to help. I'm same as me. They want to help. They want to serve. They want to help people improve their lives, but they're limited by the knowledge that they get from school. And they are also limited by what they're allowed, you know, to give out, to prescribe because of the framework that they are set down. And what's happening because of this, because there's so much awareness right now with the science and, you know, all the new things are emerging, they're so limited, right? And they know this, that actually there are more doctors leaving the profession than joining. There's more pharmacists leaving than joining, right? There's actually a, a decline in the m number of healthcare professionals out there because they're waking up, they're realizing there are other ways. And then the, the healthcare professionals that are, are staying with it are now expanding. Like in our training, we're seeing pharmacists coming in, doctors, dentists, you know, um, for our, you know, many of them because they're like, wow, well, we need to know this stuff. This is the basic fundamentals, you know, we should know this. So there is an awakening going on. There's a huge shift happening, especially with COVID. That's, that's changed the game. But there's a saying that goes, you know, every child is born a genius only to be turned into an idiot when they go to school. And that's what happened to me. I'm sorry. One of the good things I learned from school was discipline of studying and, and you know, basic reading and writing. But most of the content that I learned in pharmacy is complete nonsense don't need it right well you need a little bit of it but most of it's pointless stuff it doesn't really make us healthy happy right so i'm so fortunate i got that discipline and you know a lot of doctors and dentists pharmacists they have incredible capacity to learn and to um, retain knowledge and impart that knowledge so what, what's cool is to be able to transfer that skill now to what really makes a difference in people's lives yeah it's, it's, it's interesting I, i definitely observe this shift as well people are, are looking out more and more for 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 stuff you guys are doing and i think it's, it's super important to to put more attention on that 
but yeah, this is, this is another thing you were mentioning. Um, let's say pe there's people who are really, um, really good with the system, with like the education system and can retain, like you said, uh, pharmacists, doctors who can retain a lot of information. And there's people who are not so good in this, and then they usually become more entrepreneurial, find out, find out more, their, more their own thing. Um, but I, I also observe a lot of these, um, let's say, uh, holistic health practitioners in general um, who, are, who didn't have this rigor background, that they lack exactly these skills which are somehow needed as well which are consistency like following through with things and i think it's super important to to co like to, to learn both sides of it like maybe not what everything you learn from school but the 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 learning of the consistency the learning of like the met the methods how to apply it what i learned a lot from i mean i studied physics myself biggest thing i learned is problem solving <laughs> it's, uh, it doesn't have to do with physics but that's what we do we're doing all the time and if i don't know how to solve myself i figure it out somehow i find a person i find it online whatsoever so i think these methods are very very uh uh crucial still so that's i i think well, I'm, I'm saying this, this i think it's very important that people who are having an academic background who go now and apply their methods of learnings their their um their background of their problem solving skills towards uh, this industry, I think as well. But, but what's amazing still in, in the medical world, right, is like COVID is a great example, is how many doctors, right, that I've spoken to and listened to still just believe exactly what they're told from the pharmaceutical industry. They don't do any of the actual research that you should to ask, to discern what is correct and what isn't and people and uh you know it, there's an amazing um guy actually i listened to on a joe rogan podcast um he's a ex-pharmacy rep and he explained how uh basically the pharmaceutical companies pay reps like and quite often they're like these glamorous beautiful women who go and just wine and dine doctors and basically give them their version of the study. And the doctors don't do any other research other than just taking that face value, right? Now, that's one of the big problems we have in the world is that is doctors who are fed up or not willing to actually learn anymore and research themselves. And this is one of the reasons why in the last three years, so many, so much harm has been caused because Things have got onto the market that shouldn't have been on the market. And um, things have been like censored that should have not been censored, right? So that's another reason why so many doctors are leaving the profession because they can't speak out when they believe something to be wrong, right? So actually, like, I think we really need to um, find doctors and healthcare professionals who are doing their own research and it's actually not as common as you think because they are learned uh, they just learn basically to follow what they were told that's right this is also systemic and money and there's so much money and incentives and there's so many doctors getting kickbacks and all of this leads to a lot of harm public in public health and people being brainwashed into complete nonsense you know it's it's very systemic, yeah. I would like to dive though a little bit more into the into the science. You had something, you had a, an interesting uh, device on your finger. Um, I think it's a blood blood oxygen blood oxygen meter. Uh yeah, yeah, it does, and it also measures your heart rate. So, um, but just uh, on that, what I was talking about is a guy called Brigham Bula. I think he's an amazing dude. Check him out. He really has a great insight into how big farmer works as he was a top farmer rep do you know sack bush yeah he's he's interesting he's very interesting as well as um there are a lot of awake doctors now who are coming into the forefront but the problem is is a lot of them fear losing their jobs and licenses you know and i think um one of the countries recently i think it might have been america have signed into law if you go against this cdc what they would say you will be instantly taken off the register. It's like just been signed into law, which is just insane. 
because the CDC have been so wrong, like in the last three years, what's happened? So wrong, unbelievably wrong. Wow. Okay. So what is this guy called? Brigham Bueller. Check him out. He goes really deep into it. It's one of the Joe Rogan recent podcasts. Check it out. I'll check it out. Yeah. So this thing. This thing. Yeah. So tell me, what is this? So this thing measures, um, the reason I, I like to bring this gadget out is because it's my little game. This thing measures your heart rate. Okay. I'm trying to, maybe I'll put it on this finger. It'll be better. Anyway, you can see the numbers, right? So on the left is 63, 60. That's my heart rate. Okay. So we've been told another big myth, right, is that we have no control over the autonomic nervous system consciously, that it's all unconscious and it's without uh, our con ability to have conscious control, which we, I will show you right now is not true. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to raise my heart rate up by around 20, 30 beats per minute, and then I'm going to raise it, I'm going to lower it, okay, straight away, and try and get it as low as I can, okay? You ready? Go for it. Wow. Wow. You got really good at this. <laughs> There you go. How's that? From 42 to 100, 110, 107 or something. Wow. And back. Crazy. Wow, that's um, it's impressive. I, I remember you showed me that a few times, but this is like, this is next level. <laughs> you get really good at this. The, 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 cool, like the, cool, the interesting thing there is, like, I mean, we can raise our heartbeats is what's probably everybody knows when, when we do sport or when we go running or sprinting or so, but you just sit there and you do it. And we were told that that's impossible. So the way you do it, it's very simple. So in yoga, we, we um, have these bandhas, energy locks, right? You've probably heard of Mula Bandha, but actually the one that's really connected to the autonomic nervous system is the Ashwini Mudra. Ashwini Mudra is the muscles around your sphincter. And when you contract them up and draw up and hold your breath on the inhale, we activate adrenaline. We produce adrenaline, okay? And that's what raises the heart rate up, okay? Now, uh, the opposite, to lower the heart rate, okay, you breathe out very slowly. Like you're breathing out through a small straw. With your mouth or nose? Doesn't matter, nose or mouth. Just slowly And then you hold your breath at the end. And when you hold your breath at the end, it actually starts, well, the, the exhale lowers heart rate, inhale increases heart rate. When you hold your breath after exhale, you bring your heart rate down gradually. That's why I was getting it so low, all right? So if you can hold your breath for long periods of time, you can actually bring your heart rate down like below 40 beats per minute, right? But basically why that's useful is that we can, on command, produce adrenaline and also another hormone called DHEA, which is a contract, it's a, uh, sorry, a dilator. And adrenaline is like an, it's, um, it's like an activator, right? It's an activating neurotransmitter. And you can create a positive stress response rather than a negative stress. When you have a negative stress response, you produce cortisol and this constricts and it, ca it causes you to power, like going to, paralysis freeze right and it's a way of like hiding defending okay but when you create positive stress response you go into courage and expansion and this leads to strength right so you can create a sequence of breathing techniques that leads to positive stress response which is what i just did there okay you can also do breathing techniques to lower your heart rate and switch off stress and to um, calm the nervous system down, which is what I did there. So how fast can you, how fast can you technically switch off stress? If let's say there is some, 
I think let's say think of a of a day to day stressful situation uh, that that kind of kicks you. That is happening. Let's say you you're walking on through the city and there's a, there's a car very close call, like something like this. Probably all of us experienced at one point. Then after that, you feel like full of adrenaline. You feel like, wow, I just survived this. So how fast you can drop this? Yeah, cool. Well, you know, also it could be like somebody says something to you. It triggers you, right? So it can also be emotional stress. Okay, so the quickest way to turn off the stress quickly, to stop that stress harming you, causing harm to the body, right, is breathe in slightly through your nose and breathe out slowly. And when you get to the end, very slight inhale. Just keep doing that and you'll start to feel really calm, like after a few minutes. And uh, going back to this device, okay, what this shows you is SpO2 level. Now, I want to show you, look, that's 97 at the moment, okay, if you read it properly, it's 97. There's an abundance of oxygen. Just a slight inhale and it will be fully saturated, yeah? So we have an abundance of oxygen. There's loads of oxygen in the atmosphere, right? But it's the trick is to get the oxygen from your blood cells because what happens is when you breathe in, the oxygen comes into your system, binds your red blood cells, okay? And there it's transported around the body. But if you... So what this measures is your oxygen saturation, okay? But of your blood, blood cells. Now... If you uh, don't have enough CO2, you're going to get full saturation of your blood cells, right? But not of your body tissue cells. And what we want to get is the oxygen coming off your red blood cells and going into the body tissue cells. So you have optimum body tissue oxygenation. Okay, and that's where CO2 comes in. So it's not that we have an oxygen problem. We have abundance of oxygen. There's loads of oxygen. In fact, yeah, there's so much. We, we, we don't need all of it. We have a CO2 problem. So how do you increase the oxygen, increase and measure the oxygen saturation in your blood cell, and not in your blood cell, in the tissue cells? Like this is just measuring in the blood cells. So how? You need a proper medical device to, to do that because it's going to be different all over your body. Um, this just measures your blood oxygen saturation, all right, which is... But can you say if that drops, is that an indicator if that drops... Is that, is that an indicator that the tissue oxygenation increases? It can be. So in certain medical conditions, when your SpO2 drops and it stays chronically below a certain amount, it means you're not getting oxygen, enough oxygen to your red blood cells. If it's a chronic thing where it's going on for hours, right? And um, so some respiratory issues, COPD, things like that, even lung cancer, what it does is it, it means you're getting less oxygen from your lungs going into the red blood cells. And if that, that, that gaseous exchange is affected, it can um, cause lots of health issues because you just, then you have a problem of oxygen. But majority of people, we don't have that issue. What we have is a CO2 issue. We are over-breathing, hyperventilating, breathing too much through our mouth, and, what, and stressful breathing when we're stressed or exercising too intensely where we're breathing in and out for our mouth for long periods. That is what leads to low CO2 in the body and poor CO2 tolerance, which then leads to low body tissue oxygenation. Yes. And what is if that is like only short term, like for example, breath work using like Wim Hof methods or so? Yeah. Or holotropic, rebirthing, things like that. So here what we're doing is we're creating... Uh, so there's different techniques. Um, so let's look at uh, like Wim Hof method, for example, okay, which is fast breathing, okay, followed for about 20, 30 reps, followed by holding your breath after exhalation, right? Now, what the, the goal of the fast breathing is, the, or in his case, he's doing it through the mouth. Well, that, the point of that, okay, 
that breathing technique, when you're breathing in through your mouth and letting go, right, over and over, it actually generates heat in the body. Fast breathing through your mouth, a hyperventilate through the mouth, creates heat in the body. So it's a good thing for cold climates, okay? But also what it does is it lets go of the CO2, right? The CO2 from the system. And what the uh, CO2 does, as I said, was it tells you you need to inhale. So if you can let go of CO2, the signal for inhalation, for a short period, you means your need to inhale is less. So you can then hold your breath after exhale for a long period of time, okay? So what that means, and I'll show you on here. We'll do a demonstration if you want, right? Is, uh, so look at that number. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do like what they, what we call the Wim Hof method, all right? And I'm gonna do it and you're gonna see, you're gonna watch what happens. So remember, I, most people on average can only hold their breath for 20 to 40 seconds. But if you hyperventilate first, your ability to hold your breath increases, okay? So watch this. I'm gonna do it Wim Hof style. <laughs> there you go That's a quick wow demo. it dropped it dropped from uh 98 to 79 look at my heart rate so i went down below 40 it's 41 no yeah wow so i don't know how long i held it there but i can hold it usually much longer if i'm not doing this uh demo like this but you'll see if you watch the video back around a minute to a minute 30 is when the SpO2 level starts to drop. And what we do is we create a state called intermittent hypoxia. Intermittent hypoxia creates a lower than normal oxygen level, right? Because you're not breathing, you're stopping oxygen, new oxygen coming in, right? You're stopping CO2 from going out because you've, you've stopped breathing. So what's happening is you're creating a pause for a moment where you create this state called intermittent hypoxia, right? which is a lower than normal, a brief period of lower than normal oxygen, below 90%. And this makes an adaptive change in your body. Your body freaks out and it thinks you're running out of oxygen. So it goes, okay, I need to prepare for this. So what it does is it, it actually ramps up your ability to use oxygen to make it more efficient. So actually what happens is you increase red blood cells, you actually increase uh, vascularization, cap uh, capillaries in your heart, in your brain. You also dilate blood vessels, and this is all triggered by an ingredient called nitric oxide gas, right, that really makes all this activate. And overall, a strengthening happens, right? Because when you create a positive stress where you you take something away from the body for a brief period or you apply a pressure on the body, like a sauna, fasting, something like that. It makes your body grow back stronger as a response to that stress. So it's a brief period of controlled intermittent hypoxia that we're creating. Now, there's different ways of doing this. That The Wim's got his way with uh, Wim Hof method and it's really good for generating heat in the body, especially with the cold immersion techniques that he does, which is incredible. Okay, now in pranayama tradition, the way I do it is with rhythmic breathing, slow rhythmic breathing first. It's actually a lot how freedivers do the same technique. And this actually allows you to go even deeper into breath retentions, to maximize your breath hold phase for, for as much as possible. And what that does, when you get to around two to three minutes of breath hold, after exhale, that's where real magic starts happening. You start to wake up stem cells out of circulation, 
And the stem cells have the ability to turn into any other cell in the body, right? You wake up very small embryonic stem cells and they go, start going to areas of the body where there's inflammation, where growth needs to happen, regeneration needs to happen, okay? So you're waking up your own ability to heal, self-heal, which is incredible. So that's one core technique in pranayama. And it actually will also lead to better oxygen efficiency, better CO2 tolerance, all of these things. So pranayama does it through rhythmic breathing, like you do it in Soma, correct? Yeah, there's different ways. There's like bastrika, which is faster breathing, followed by breath holds. Or the way I do it is more like free diving, which is slow rhythmic breathing. And that slow rhythmic breathing also has an effect of creating a state of coherence and inner harmony. Because rhythmic breathing is what your body loves, breathing in a rhythm. It loves that. And every single function in your body is rhythmic. But we have biorhythms. And every biorhythm is subservient to the rhythm of your breath. That's why in yoga, yogic breathing is very rhythmic. Rhythmic breathing is the is the foundation of healthy breathing in, in yoga. And do this through do this rhythmic breathing because you breathe less in, I guess, you generate this intermittent hypoxia states or you just generally lower the the, hypo, the, the the oxygenation as well. Well, yeah, what we're doing is getting rid of large amounts of CO2 uh, for a short period. And what we add in is the music element. Um, actually, if you go to the Wim Hof app, all the music on there I produce with his son, Enam, so we go more into psychedelic and altered states of consciousness and also the pharmacy of breathing practices in pranayama. So there's many different techniques. And as I said, rhythmic breathing is magic, right? So we bring in the music because music, firstly, it makes doing these practices more fun, right? But also when you breathe to the beat, okay, it creates this, this harmony, this harmonic breathing which is the foundation of Soma Breath, is rhythmic, harmonic breathing to a beat. And when you breathe, so we have rhythms where you're breathing out twice the length of time as you breathe in. So double exhale time. This has the ability to switch on parasympathetic very fast. And that has a way of getting you into bliss states, alter states as well. And then also we have uh, faster rhythmic breathing tracks, which is like in for two beats, out for two, or in for one, out for one, using tones. Ah, ah, ah. that has another effect this is what cambridge university is studying right now is our rhythmic breathing breath protocols and how it affects consciousness wow you're working with them right now right now cambridge university is studying us which is incredible we're, we're the one they picked for their amazing groundbreaking studies they're doing on the breath and relationship with the mind and consciousness so actually the results they're showing right now is that our technique is already on par with like things like psilocybin and MDMA therapy, ketamine therapy, which is phenomenal, right? Wow. I mean, your beads as well, they are amazing. I, uh, for everybody who doesn't know them, this guy is a genius <laughs> in that sense as well. They are amazing for that. I, I, where can actually, like if someone is now interested, like where should they, where should they check you out first? What's the first um, landing point, someone who's new to that? Yeah, yeah, go check out um, somabreath.com. I'll give you the links um, so you can direct people to it in your show notes. But yeah, we have a website, somabreath.com. We have loads of free content on YouTube. And we have also a um, Facebook group that's a very active community. So you can join that as well. Um, yeah. Beautiful. What I wanted to dive in a little bit more is the, you mentioned psychedelics, like psychedelic states through breath. And I've experienced that. I mean, I think this is the first, like meeting you, literally you showed me that the first time really going deep into these psychedelic states, just using your breath. And I was so impressed. How's it called? Um, Stan Grove with the holotropic breath work uh, is also focused mo mostly on that. So how, how do you explain that through the breath, we can reach these states and what are they actually and in your interpretation? So, um, your breath is intimately linked to your thoughts and consciousness states. So with rhythmic breathing, okay, what's happening, and this is all theory. We don't know for sure if this is exactly why, but as I said, fast rhythmic breathing, what it does is it, it's like a mild hyperventilation. It's a, it's a controlled hyperventilation. So actually what happens is you get less blood flow going eventually to your brain. Okay. And the way psychedelics work is that like psilocybin, DMT, they, 
suppress oxygenation of certain areas of the brain, which cuts off the control of the conscious mind, the neocortex, to the unconscious world. And that leads to altered states, right? That's how psilocybin works, okay? It's one of the theories. So we are mimicking that through the breath. We're, for a brief period, reducing oxygenation's key areas of the brain, which leads to this boom, awakening, happening. So that's one of the theories. Now, also what rhythmic breathing can do when it's done, especially with the tones, is you're constantly activating the vagus nerve and affecting the parasympathetic nervous system. And this can also have an added uh, effect. And when it's in a very harmonic way, where it's done to a beat, music, it leads quite predictably what we've seen to bliss states and spiritual awakening type states, connection and, and feeling like at one with everything, right? So that's what we do is we focus on controlled rhythmic harmonic breathing with tones to a beat. This is what takes people into very, very deep water states of consciousness. And also what this uh, rhythmic breathing can do with, especially using those tones, is it can release unresolved emotional stress and, and um, trauma that's built up over the years. So people can feel very, very free, liberated from doing these sessions. Wow, okay. And, and how, does, um, how does it differ from or differentiate itself from the holotropic breathwork? It's, it's very similar, but, but what I'm trying to do is stick to the, the traditional tantric yoga methods, which is all about rhythmic breathing, making tones and sounds and activating the bandhas with rhythm to create that activation of the nervous system and leading to positive, powerful, controlled stress responses that leads to all these powerful changes in the body. Yes. I mean, what I love about this, and I've done it quite, I, I was fortunate that you guided me quite a bunch of times already, and I'm doing it myself, is because through the breath, like in, in comparison to the, taking a substance, taking a psychedelic, is it still, you're still feeling control because you can stop at any moment. With a psychedelic, while you're going on a journey for four hours or so, and with that, you can technically stop. And if someone has a release, they can, uh, uh, like, who are not ready to have this trauma release or so it's easier for them to open up to this easier for them to process this as well. So that's a very, very powerful point. Uh, I observed and, and, and I heard a lot of times already. Yeah. So there's breath work on its own as a therapeutic tool. There's also psychedelics on their own as a therapy tool, but when you bring them together, you can have an even more enhanced, powerful, Experience. And this is what we're, we're actually working on with, um, some amazing people out there in the psychedelic therapy space. And, uh, you know, and we're, we're, we're looking to create, um, state of the art facilities for breathwork, transformation, psychedelic treatments, all done in the right way. And then also bringing them together in certain experiences. Wow. Wow. This is, this is exciting. <laughs> Amazing. Um, wow. I wanted to dive in a little bit into your understanding. And I know this is all still like cutting edge signs, or if there's even signs, it's like the understanding how that affects a pineal gland and, um, the release maybe of DMT through breathing practices or even like the, 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 the locks. What do you know about this and, and how do you explain this? Or is that, is there something about this? Well, in yogic tradition, um, you know, we talk about the third eye and this is the pineal gland, right? And visionary abilities come from there. And sixth sense, super sensory like abilities come from this third eye being activated. What we do know is that the breath does with the energy, right? Energy locks affect hormones from being released. Like we know adrenaline for sure. We know also DHEA can be affected. We also know cortisol can be created on demand if you want. We also know uh, the opposite. We can turn on other neurotransmitters that do deal with relaxation. Um, acetylcholine, for example. Okay, so we know we can affect the hormonal system with the breath from science. But yoga talks more about activating other chakra points, which if you look at the chakra points, 
are also a um, mirror of the hormonal system, the endocrine system. Even tones, humming, vibrations can affect production of chemicals in the body, like nitric oxide. If you hum here, the paranasal sciences is where you produce nitric oxide. You produce a lot of it. And nitric oxide has all these amazing healing benefits in the body. But when you use energy lock techniques and contracting, bring your attention there and holding your breath in certain ways, you activate the third eye. You, you create this visionary abilities, right? So this is the legend of tantric yoga. However, science hasn't caught up with that yet. There is some awareness about it, but there's theories, but there's no real hundred percent like for certain breath control affects DMT being produced in the pine. Like we don't know that hundred percent for sure. More studies are going to need to be done. We do know that DMT is produced by red blood cells and also that found in the lung. So, you know, that's interesting. We're hacking, uh, red blood cells and their function and, um, lung function with breath work. So maybe this can explain DMT like phenomena, but we do know anecdotally, we've seen time and time again, people describe intense breathwork experiences like holotropic rebirthing and what we do with stone breath as feeling like ayahuasca or psilocybin DMT. So we know from observation that something is happening in the body that has the same result and result or similar, not completely exactly the same as doing DMT. I mean, I experienced it hundred <laughs> percent. That's uh, some super powerful states. Probably not in that duration, I'd say. Like the, the, the length is probably not that long, but it's profound. Like from a, from a psychedelic, from a, from an altered state of conscious state, but also from a, um, even the heart opening, the, the heart coherence you reach, the love, the probably comes close to MDMA and, uh, and, and all these effects. This is, this is, um, super interesting. And how, How do you, like, are you working as well with, or do you have any courses, any training programs specifically, or is all of that specifically uh, um, geared towards that? Or do you have anyone, any courses specifically geared towards spiritual enlightenment uh, practices, consciousness expanding practices, or people who are interested mostly in that? Enlightenment is a big, is a big, big term, right? What is enlightenment? You know, there's many different like ideas about it. How do you define it? <laughs> Enlightenment is, in my definition, is the waking up from the trance that we've been all conditioned and born into to the realization that we have been programmed and we have been robotized by culture, environment, society, media, advertising. However, we have the ability to wake up out of this and change. That's to me is in line is the realization that we can wake up out of this trance and become our own software programmers of our own operating system, which is the mind. Mm -hmm. And being there constant, like constantly, if you can, is also realizing that you also can't be there constantly. That you're, it's going to be a thing that is that this, this, the law of nature is that we're always robotized. So what it, isn't even waking up the process of waking up and having this ability could be a part of that robotization so it's it's really understanding like truth what is truth true will and the difference between true will and conditioned will but have you do you have any techniques or any special programs or are you working specially specifically with these people the courses i've created that are really helping go into spiritual spiritual uh states of consciousness is like our 21 day awakening journey, right? Which is really powerful. That's what Cambridge is studying. But then there's also the um, course I made with Shift Network recently, which is, um, I call it the codes of consciousness. And it's all about really understanding consciousness with powerful breathwork techniques that work on how we've been conditioned and to undo yourself using the breath. I see to rewire and to, 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 yeah, yeah to become more so you can aware. Become, of you can go down any reality tunnel you choose. 
you know. I was living the pharmaceutical reality tunnel at one point and I bent reality by changing the reality I choose to tune into. Yeah, so basically you're rewiring your brain in a way or your attention and your, your, your reality in a way by rewiring your, what you're putting your attention on through these states of alternate, like, like higher consciousness. I mean, in a similar way, I think uh, psychedelics do it, no? Um, they, they, they increase neuroplasticity, which probably breathwork does the same thing. Yeah. So actually, our formula for, let's talk about manifesting, which is basically, in my opinion, creating a brain change, like changing the neurology first. It start, starts with that. So you tune into what it is that you want to call in, right? The process of uh, holding your breath for creating intermittent hypoxia plus intention, right? Plus powerful emotion, which we create through the music and the breath work leads to brain change according to will. Like we're activating stem cells and we're accelerating neurogenesis. And then we also use other mediums like the sauna because sauna has been shown to massively increase growth hormone to direct neurogenesis how we want to create new functions of the mind to improve the functioning of the brain. So you can actually acquire new skills, increase your learning capacity, memory, abilities to communicate, and even self-heal. So these are this is the combination of the techniques we do in our retreats, which um, can change people's lives in just days. Yeah, you create so, so dramatic shifts in their brain and their outlook of, of, of their reality, yeah. Orgasmic states with intention leads yes. to transformation. Yes. Sex magic. <laughs> <laughs> Tantra. That's, yeah. that's what it is, no? And in terms of uh, your routine, like what is the routine? Like, I guess you do that daily, um, but what's the routine you found for yourself that you do regularly for yourself? Like I change up a lot uh, depending on where I am. I travel a lot, so I'm moving around or quite busy quite often. So uh, I try and make a high impact routine. So I use, I use like the... I'm always doing the mindful breathing techniques from BreathFit, our BreathFit course, throughout the day. But some quick ones. So the best type of exercise to get efficient exercise is anaerobic exercise. Is oxygen, uh, sorry, is exercise in the absence of oxygen. So there we do um, certain yoga poses where you hold your breath into the pose. We do certain physical exercises, like um, any kind of body weight exercise you can think of, from push-ups to lunges, uh, holding breath, and also just walking around the room, holding your nose, holding your breath. Actually, that in the morning, I love to do that. It's like first thing I do. It's better than coffee. You wake up all the blood vessels in your brain, and it makes you go to the toilet. Right. So it's like a it's a great uh, unblocker. Right. So It can decongest your nose, it unblocks your bowels, go to the toilet, boom, and then you're ready to get on with some exercise. Because you shouldn't do exercise on a, when you haven't emptied your bowels, usually. You shouldn't do yoga anyway. Yeah. So basically, when a neurologist is waking up, he walks, he closes his nose and walks around the room <laughs> holding his breath. Yeah. It looks quite silly, but it look, it's very powerful stuff. <laughs> How long are you doing this for? Just for a few minutes. But you hold it for a few minutes. What I do is I, I gamify it. So I count how many steps I can do. So you, everyone's going to have their own best score. Like, but on a general rule, um, on average, most people are going to be around 40 steps. As you get better, you're going to, like walking at a normal pace, you're going to get to 50, 60 and beyond. And then, you know, if you can get over 80, it's quite a good result. It's, it's a sign of very good body tissue oxygenation. And then you repeat it or you do it just once? Yeah. So then you, you, I try and do one to maximum effort and then repeat a couple of times. That really raises the CO2, dilates everything. You can feel the effects of CO2 and nitric oxide immediately of the dilation. And then that's what opens the bowels and helps you. Um, Got it. So you get stop. up, you hold your breath, you go 40 to 80 steps. And then you breathe in once, breathe out again, and you do it again. Yeah, always through the nose. Yeah. But only once you breathe in, in the between. Yeah. Okay. Because the goal is to keep the CO2. 
low. To raise the CO2. High, high, yeah. And CO2 low. I got it. Nice. And then you do that. This is like, a, what is it, a five-minute practice or so? It doesn't take that, that long. Minutes, it has a, long. Wow. Okay. Cool. Nice. Awesome. I think we are already um, um, at the end of our, our session. So uh, you were already sharing some things, but where should people go to? Like beginners, advanced people, people who just want to learn more? Yeah. If you're just starting out, go to uh, the sermonbreath.com. You'll have a link. Follow Flo's link. Um, and uh, sign up for the free masterclass and just start learning what we're about, what Sermon Breath is about, and uh, what we're trying to do, our mission. But then there's also lots of free content on YouTube. So immediately you can go to YouTube, tune into our channel, go to like a playlist. The playlists are set logically um, where you can learn a lot about the breath. Um, you know, there's a lot of free demos of our techniques on there. And then you can also um, check out my Instagram. You know, so we have the Soma Breath Instagram, Neurogenake Official is my Instagram, personal one. And our Facebook group is super buzzing. Like, If you want to get involved with a community of super cool people, all super high vibe, then go and join our Facebook group. Amazing. Amazing. We put that as well on the show notes. Cool. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Niraj. It was great.